When we first moved here to plant the first church, the DNA of what we were trying to do is still the DNA of what we're trying to do. And we believe that God is calling us to a huge vision. So if you're new with us, we're in the middle of a four-week teaching series we call Underground Jesus. It's one of the only series, it's the only series we do every year. And we are talking about our four movement maker statements. They're out in the hallway. Pastor Rashad did an excellent job last weekend sharing his heart, man, laying a lot out there of what the Lord was doing and uh, kicking us off about living boldly and loving deeply. This week, we're going to talk about our model of ministry to follow Jesus up in and out. It's really a way of life. And we're going to talk about as Jesus loved us and we've received that love. Remember, you've never been loved like this before, the theme for this uh, year. We're going to respond with love by leading a balanced life for Jesus. So, This morning, what I'd love to do is do a little self-assessment. You know what I'm talking about when I say self-assessment? I mean, that's pretty explanatory, but just in case you were confused, right? Like a self-assessment would be kind of like this. If, well, Pastor Rashad's right over here. So like, let's just say that you're a Lakers fan (laughs) and you assessed your team this year and noticed that people could be signing up for AARP You might say to yourself, I have selected NBA teams poorly, right? Like maybe, maybe that'd be your self-assessment. Rashad say something back. But we're both Pacers fans, so we can celebrate the Pacers. You're a Pacers fan, right? Oh my goodness. Somebody needs to baptize that man again. We're, <laughs> we're Pacers fans here. Hey, but we're not talking about the NBA. You get me off, Rashad. What, what I want to talk about is we're going to do a little spiritual self-assessment, regardless of what your team is, but college football kicks off really soon and Notre Dame's taken down. Florida State on September 5th. I know you're all praying. But here we go. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Luke 6, verse 12. As you're turning there, there should be a, a Bible in the back of the book rack or you can power on a digital Bible. It will be on the screen as well. But I want to give kind of a theme verse for us this morning. 2 Corinthians 13.5. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that had been in chaos. There was all kinds of sin and lust occurring in that church. And he's talking about the life-changing power of Jesus. And in chapter 13, verse 5, towards the end of this letter, he writes, examine yourselves. What we're going to do this morning is examine ourselves. Not examine our neighbor, not examine our political foe, not examine other people in our school district. We're going to examine ourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourself. Do not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test. I want us to test ourselves, to examine ourselves in these three areas of our life that we learn in the New Testament of how Jesus produced disciples to have a healthy vertical relationship with our heavenly father, our up vertical relationship, to have a healthy in relationship with other believers. Jesus had the 12 or even the three, Peter, James, and John. And then to have a healthy external relationship out in the world, helping those in need, proclaiming our faith, that those three areas, a follower of Jesus should live in a balanced way. And I want to show you, you get just a little glimpse. We're going to use this as a platform to demonstrate throughout scripture how this is true. We're going to use Luke chapter six, beginning in verse 12. Are you ready to study God's word together? 
Come on now, a little background. I love Luke. The guy was the most educated of all of the New Testament writers. It's the most difficult Greek to translate. He was a first century physician that traveled with the apostle Paul. He wrote a two-part book called Luke Acts because a guy named Theophilus most likely paid him to do it as a way, as a patron to say, we want the good news of Jesus to get out there, so go and do this. And we get little details in Luke that we don't always get in other books. And in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When was the last time you spent a night praying to God? (laughs) Like usually like nighttime prayer looks like uh, 30 seconds of really deep, intimate prayer and then eight hours of sleep. Anybody? He spent a night talking to his heavenly father that in the chaos of the world going around him, and we've had a difficult last couple of years. I mean, we all know that. In the middle of everything going on today, going back to school, going into the workplace, Stuff still happening with a virus. Stuff happening in our culture that may not be the most Christian aspect in different areas of the way we live out on both ends of the political spectrum. And we struggle with how do I live as a Christian in this culture? You know the way Jesus lived. He constantly got a way to commune with his heavenly father. I'm gonna talk a lot about that this morning. I believe that American Christians are missing a dependency on Christ first on communing with our Heavenly Father before anything else. I want to talk about that. I may even say something controversial. This is going to be fun, isn't it? Verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. Apostles just means sent ones. He is Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. As we talk about making disciples this morning and the importance of real Christian fellowship and community and learning the ways of Jesus, it's important to understand that even Jesus asked somebody to follow him. I said in the first service wrongly that he got it wrong. He didn't get it wrong. He knew what Judas was going to do, but he still called him to follow him anyway. For those of you out there making disciples, you're going to pour into some people that choose to live differently than the way that the Lord is asking them to live. Do not get discouraged. As part of disciple-making, Pastor Kathy, our discipleship pastor, is starting a disciple-making podcast that's going to be coming out very soon, so look forward to those details. But moving on, verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to him to, to, excuse me, to hear him. They come from all over because Jesus doesn't just get known in the synagogues by the Jewish people, or even by the Christian people. He gets known by the world around them because of the work that's happening. We always say that we want to be the type of church that if we could no longer meet in the building or we no longer existed as a church, that the local community, even those who are not Christian, would miss us because they couldn't deny the good work that God was doing in their community. That's the type of church we've always desired to create. He goes on in verse 18, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. There's power and authority when we live out the gospel out in the world. Verse 19, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. As we self-assess this morning, uh, we're not taking any type of academic test. We're not testing your Bible knowledge. 
We're trying to say, how are we doing in the area of leaving a balanced life and following Jesus? And every single one of us has an area. Our church even has areas that we need to ask the Lord to improve. Will you pray with me? God, man, I just pause. I thank you for every person in here. Somebody came in here today and this was like a struggle to get up this morning. They got so much going on in their life, in their dating life, in their marriage, at their workplace, in their school. They got troubles and heartaches and shame and guilt that they've brought into this place. God, make this a place of freedom. May your spirit minister to us. God, there are those of us who have gotten complacent in our faith. I pray that this morning you would shake the ground spiritually of what's going on in our lives. And we would become so fully devoted to you as a disciple, as a learner of your ways, that people see the impact for generations to come. We're calling on you for big things this morning. Wherever people are joining us around the world online, or wherever people have come from in this building, speak to us through your scripture, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So if we're talking about learning, learning the ways of Jesus, the New Testament word for disciple is methetus. It just means learner. You ever taught somebody how to learn something? I coached a fourth and fifth grade basketball team, and it was a lot of fun. But by year two, I learned I was not very good at this because they actually needed to learn some things. And I didn't even understand the things that they needed to learn. You know, my kids, they've all learned how to ride a bicycle now, which is really cool. It takes a little practice to learn how to ride a bicycle. You got to balance on that thing. And if you don't balance correctly, you might fall. I'll never forget uh, when my first son, Jake, was three years old. He got into it the fastest of any of our kids. I said it was a Lightning McQueen bike in the first service. That was wrong, not true. It was actually a Tomater bike that he had. And it was, he was three years old. He got that thing. He was so excited. He was riding it around the house. He's got this uh, little training wheels on it with those little tiny wheels for a three-year-old. So when spring came, we took him out there. He's riding all up and down the sidewalk all over the neighborhood. It was awesome. We're like, this is easy. We are such good teachers. Then here's what happened. We decided to take him on the sidewalk one day to go for a walk as a family. And he got really confident and he started riding really fast. And he saw this curb coming and you can kind of see what's about to happen. He decides to show how good he is with his biking skills. At three years old, he gets going as fast as his little legs can go. He goes flying, he hits that thing, and bam! Goes flying over the handlebars, hits right on the ground, and you know what's about to ensue next. So, me, being the compassionate father that I am, I ran over to my son, and I laid hands, and I was like, are you okay, Jake? My wife didn't do that. And I want to tell you ahead of time, my wife is the better parent. I'm not talking bad about my wife. She is uh, uh, better with the kids than I am. My patience runs thin sometimes. But she's got this thing, and some of you got it too. When somebody falls and has an accident, she laughs. <laughs> Come on now, how many of you? That, point to the person. I know you do it. Yes, thank you. Honesty. She just, you could ask her, she's over in the prayer room because we're going to be praying this morning, but she, she, she did this. She saw Jake and she saw him fall and, and she just, she tried really hard to hold it all in, which always makes it worse, doesn't it? And then bah, it all explodes out and she starts laughing and she can't stop. And the three-year-old looks up at his mom laughing at him. He didn't ride a bike again for three years. That's a true story. And 
Uh, you know, all because this is like getting somebody how to learn how to do something is not easy and they are going to fail. And I want to tell you, I am so thankful that we don't have to learn how to become a better disciple just from me as a basketball coach or my wife, uh, uh, which, by the way, she taught our, old, our youngest son how to ride a bike beautifully, beautifully, did an excellent job. But our Heavenly Father, the way he wants to help us learn how to follow him, he knows that we're going to fail sometimes and fall and get hurt. He knows that we're going to make mistakes. And I believe in American Christianity, we have a severe problem. We teach people well how to pray a prayer and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. I believe it can happen in an instant. I don't believe you have to work for it and prove how good of a moral person you are to God. That is not biblical. It's by faith we are saved, by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone. But becoming a disciple, a learner of Jesus' ways is a process over time. And the beginning of that process really in scripture was uh, to say that I'm fully surrendered to your lordship. And that's what baptism really represents this morning. We had two people get baptized at the last service, just spontaneously on the spot. And baptism biblically represents that I have died with Christ and I have risen with him. I've surrendered fully. I've not just made him savior, but Lord of my life. And I don't have all of my unrepentant sin issues figured out. But I'm going to learn. I'm going to go through this process of being discipled and learning how to follow Jesus in my life. It takes balance and authority. I'm going to skip to the graphic. We have a graphic of how we live this out in our model of ministry. The, the M for us this week of, of the Movement Maker Statements is model. And it's a very simple model. We want to follow Jesus up, if you see the up and the in and the out. It represents how, as a whole, we want to produce fully devoted followers of Jesus. I don't know when it started, but we've gotten this idea that what we need to do is get somebody to pray to receive Christ, and then we get them into some type of group, and then discipleship happens through osmosis somehow. We don't really have a plan. Jesus had an intentional relational way of calling people and discipling them and producing disciples who follow Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, the second part of Luke Acts, the early church gets started and they're forming house churches and sending them all out. The disciple making is happening both in the discipleship huddle for us. And then as we send people out in community, our micro churches, which is one of our versions of outposts, are living on mission all over our communities. That church is not just a worship gathering or a building. It is a community on mission. That is central to who we are as a church. So if we're not connected to what the Lord is doing out in the world, if we're not connected to other believers to grow in our faith, we're going to miss out on what he desires and wants to do. And many of us, when problems come up in our life, we, we, let me give you an example. We struggle financially. We don't have enough resources financially. So we go, I'm going to take Crown Financial or Dave Ramsey, or I'm going to do this course to help me. You should do it. Absolutely. But you should start with the question of why has this never bothered me and why have I never seen that as a spiritual question to begin with? Because if we get to the root of many of the issues that we go to a seminar or class for, which I'm encouraging you to do that, the root of many of those things is often that we're really not a fully devoted follower of Jesus. We've, we've had salvation, but we haven't made him Lord in our life. We've prayed, but we've not allowed him to change us. And you see people who pray to receive Christ, and they may have salvation. I don't know. I'm not God. But six months, a year, two years later, we go right back to the previous habits that we have. We've fallen off the bike. We feel frustrated and alone, and we actually go in a worse direction, not a better direction. We got to change that. We got to become people who actually go, it's okay to fall sometimes. 
But I'm going to lead a balanced life to follow Christ in these three areas and be everything that he created me to be. A spiritually healthy disciple will find balance in these three areas of their faith. It's our model of ministry. It's following Jesus up, in and out. And I want to talk about the first one to follow Jesus up. That vertical relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 again. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. So, Jesus is fully God and fully human, so he had every reason not to go do this. It wasn't like he was going to sin. But he goes and he spends time with his Heavenly Father because it's the power and the source of communing with him. It was the most important thing when Jesus is asked, what is the, the number one command we have as Christians? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being. In the Old Testament, it was referred to as the Shema, the number one thing that the Jewish people surrounded themselves around was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being. So that the primary thing that we should do when struggles come our way is to go to the Lord. That's why in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, that, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So the first thing that you do you should go to the Financial Peace University. You should go to the marriage seminar. You should go to the addiction recovery group. You should do all those things. But the first thing you should do is to seek God first. To hit our knees. To call on him for prayer. I, I know that it's been a crazy year or two. And then some of us got some text messages this week. From school systems. Some of us got fired up about something that we read online or something that we uh, talked to our friend about. And I want to tell you, I am not a politician and I am not a doctor and I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. But as a theologian and as a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, if the first thing you do in all of those decisions that you're making this week isn't to hit your knees and to pray to the Lord and seek his kingdom first, you're going to stray from what God desires to do in your soul. And you're going to end up hurting the very mission of Jesus in your life. He told us the great commandments, love the Lord your God, and then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Which, by the way, the in and out is to love Christians and find fellowship and community and then live out on mission for people in our community to love our neighbor as ourself. It's about loving God and loving people. That's what a balanced life following Jesus looks like. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And I'm not telling you what to do, but if you don't know how to do that, I want to encourage you, prayer is a simple way. But I find often our prayers line up with the hours of YouTube watching and Instagram following. And, and this, I'm not talking both ends of the spectrum here, okay? We always end up praying the thing that we already believe because we watch so much content. We have gotten indul or, or have become accustomed to every way of believing that that's the only way to believe. And what I want to tell you is that we need to be thinking about what's the Lord up to? What does the Lord want today? What does He want in your heart? What does he want for your neighbor? What does he want for your kids' friends? What does he want for the, the people in your workplace? What does he want to do? Because we all know this life is short. And the enemy, what does he come to do? To steal, kill, and destroy. What's he stealing? Did he come to steal your money? Did, did he come to, to, to steal uh, your job? I don't know those things. What I do know is he came to steal what your heavenly father is doing. He wants to destroy that vertical relationship with him. He wants you to get so distracted by the world that you can't even talk and commune with him. He wants to destroy your relationship with believers, destroy your relationships with people who don't know Christ. 
He wants to be so destructive in our communities. I want to tell you this morning, this is incredibly important that we lead a balanced life in following Jesus because he even talks about that we're going to have these temptations. I mentioned the financial thing. Look what he says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word money there is the Aramaic word mammon, which means wealth or comfort, money. And that we are all, he says, you can't serve two masters. And so as we head into a new school year, as we head into the workplace, as we live in a chaotic world yet again that we live in, where there's all kind of vitriol and hatred and animosity, we must first seek his kingdom. We must learn his ways and to hear from him and to not make, let anything come between our relationship because the, the Lord, or excuse me, the enemy wants to be destructive to it. He wants to kill it and destroy it. Matthew chapter four, verse eight says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. If you're struggling with that up vertical relationship, start by just allowing yourself to commune with him. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you, but you have to wash your hands. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Matthew, or James 4, 8. Wash your hands, you sinners, you, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is what I said. We're not talking about our, our neighbors this morning. We're talking about ourselves. It's a self-assessment. I have been self-assessing myself this week and realizing I haven't been doing a great job of this. I'm still a Christian. I still love the Lord. I'm still being used by God. But a self-assessment says, am I seeking first his kingdom? Am I drawing near to him? Am I washing my hands, repenting of the things in my life that I need to repent of? Because that up vertical relationship is that important if we're going to face the hardships of this world is the way that Jesus himself lived during a chaotic time. Number two, though, if you're taking notes, is following Jesus in. Following Jesus in. Uh, in verses 13 to 16, it says, when he, the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. And we know the 12. He's going to have three, Peter, James, and John, that he gets really close with as well. And this becomes their primary outlet. All of these disciples, by the way, will go on to preach the gospel, with the exception of Judas, all over the world. And almost all of them will be martyred for their faith, killed because of their faith in Jesus. And I have to think, because they knew the power and the authority of Jesus and that vertical relationship with their heavenly father, and because they had other believers that they were in it together with, iron sharpens iron, the Old Testament says, that they were being sharpened to become the people God desired them to be. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash, or excuse me, that's uh, James 4.8. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. That you and I both, no matter how long you've been a Christian, need people who are believers in your life to pray for you and to encourage you in your walk. To become that person God desires you to be. You're not meant to do it alone. And here's what the last two years did. It isolated a lot of people as Christians. If you're attending this online, all of us are, need real authentic community to not do it alone. And we're afraid that if we're vulnerable and we open up about what's really going on in our lives, we won't be receptive, we'll be rejected, we'll be judged. I want to tell you, I, in my own life, I am having to open up to people. And I can, I can tell you, uh, everyone who knows me knows this one is not easy for me. 
I, I do not like to open up about my personal emotions and my vulnerabilities in life. Anybody with me on that? Okay. And the people that are really with me, you wouldn't raise your hand because you'd been too vulnerable. <laughs> right? Like that's, that's kind of how it receives. So like that for most of us, we need to allow the Lord to use other believers in our life to change our soul, to become the person we're meant to be, to allow people to pray for us, to encourage us. Hebrews 10, 25, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Yes, it's talking about gathering like this, but it's, they were meeting in homes at that time. Don't give up meeting with one another in real relationship, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, which is when Jesus returns, approaching. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So if you put that graphic back up of our engagement pathway, if, by the way, you're not supposed to be doing all of this at once. That would be unhealthy. You will burn out and you'll be tired. We are giving you options for what is best for this season of your life. And for some of you, if you are struggling and you need real close, intimate relationships, the discipleship huddle is designed for you. Reach out. We want to get you into a discipleship huddle if you've already been through Rooted. If you're here and you want long-term spiritual family, community that your husband and wife can attend together or your boyfriend and girlfriend or people, anybody, different genders come together, our microchurch version of our outposts are designed for that very thing. We're sharing communion. They're worshiping together in the home. They're praying for one another. They're going deep and they're hearing from the Lord and they're asking for the shalom of Christ, his peace to be upon us and the way that we interact in the world. And so if you need that, you need to reach out to us today. Or there are different types of outposts living on mission. Do you know that we have over 20 outposts starting in the next couple of months alone? It's unbelievable. I don't know when that happens. I think we'll be over 100 outposts throughout the, the family of churches all over our city and state living on mission, making impact way beyond what we thought possible. And so if you're not in one of these things, you need to be. But finally, if you're new, the first thing we want every single person in our church to do is to go through Rooted. And this is super important this morning because if you're like, what is Rooted? Uh, are we like, like planting things? You know, is it like a pottery class? No, we are going to talk about what it means to be rooted in Christ. And it kicks off in early September. You can sign up this morning right out at the guest center and uh, you'll be in a group together for 10 weeks. You'll be doing a five-day devotional throughout the week, and then your facilitator will help you discuss it. You'll be living on mission. You'll be praying together and worshiping, and you'll have real spiritual community to help you through the difficult things that you're facing with. But it's going to take you getting outside of your comfort zone to open up to other people. We have to stop thinking that a church is a building or a worship gathering. It is a community on mission. And this is all designed because our model of ministry means nothing. It only matters what we do with Christ. This is designed to help us facilitate what the Lord could be doing today in our lives. Reach out today if you haven't got connected in that way. Finally, following Jesus out. I'm going to kind of cut to the chase on this because I get really excited about this section. I think that too many uh, churches in the last 50 years we're good at coming together. We're even good about Christian fellowship and becoming more holy or moral people. But we don't care about the people in our community who don't know Christ. I'm not judging anybody. We don't care about people who can't find their next meal, who are afraid of being shot in their own neighborhood, 
who are afraid for their life because they've got domestic violence issues that are occurring. People who grow up all the way to age 18 and nobody desired to invite them into their family and they went from foster care parent to foster care parent to foster care parent. The followers of Jesus are meant to live out in the world. Verses 17 to 19 in Luke chapter 6, Jesus demonstrates his power and authority. As people have come from all over the world, he's not in a synagogue, he's out in the community. And it changes the course of human history. The word apostles means sent ones, that they are called to be sent out into the community. That we, as followers of Jesus, are not meant to just do our holy huddle. We are meant to be filled with the Spirit of God and go out into the community. And when did it become somehow this mentality that the world is going to hell in a handbasket? So if I go into a bar or if I go into this place that God has not honored, that, that somehow it will seep into me, it will seep into my family, and it will be destructive to everything I know. I want to tell you, set up healthy spiritual boundaries, and we certainly don't want temptation to occur for you. But we are called to go to people right where they're at. Think about it. Jesus took the youth group up to Caesarea Philippi where they worshiped the God Pan, the God of the underworld, where they would commit all kinds of sexual lustful acts together. And he took them there and said, uh, on this rock, my church will be built. That I, even the gates of Hades itself will not stand against the local church. He went to the sinner's house of Zacchaeus. He calls Matthew, the tax collector, to come and find him and everybody would have hated him. He did not care about the shame and the guilt that people had lumped on this person. He was going to teach them be learners of his ways, to go right where they are and to sacrifice for them. God first, others second, and myself third. It was a way of life, the balanced life of a Christian. And the problem is, I believe for so many of us, we have turned salvation into, I pray and receive Christ, but there's no lordship or devotion to, to be used by him, to get healthy spiritually in community, to commune with the Father so I have the power and the authority to go out into the community to help those in need and proclaim the gospel. You are not called to just sit in a comfy chair, which they are comfortable. We could have bought the 18-inch chair. We bought 21-inch chairs, so you have plenty of space, baby. It's comfortable in here. But you're not called to just sit there in your comfort. You're called, that's the mammon of the world. You're called to go out and live on mission. But let me tell you, why it doesn't happen, I, I don't want to just yell because I'm really passionate about this. It doesn't happen because we are afraid to really make him Lord and to surrender. We don't wake up in the morning and seek his kingdom first. We look at CNN and Fox News first. We see, we see what our favorite Instagram account says. We watch the YouTube channel that we watch seven hours a day again. To seek him first in his kingdom, to be filled with him, to be used by him, to be devoted to him. I've shared this story many times, and I love Acts chapter 16. You get this jailer who has imprisoned the disciples and Paul, and there's this moment where the Lord shakes the earth, and the chains come off of the jail, and they could all flee and be free, but they choose not to for the sake of the jailer. He's about to take his own life till they shout at him, no, no, you don't need to do that. We're still here. We're here for you. That's what following Jesus looks like, loving your neighbor as yourself out in the world. And because he does that, the jailer says, good, let's put the chains on. You're going to stay here forever. No, he says, what must I do to be saved? And right there in the jail cell, 
he becomes a follower of Jesus and Paul gets to live out the mission that he is called to live. I would encourage you today, if you trust the Lord in this area of your life, he could use you to change the course of human history, but it won't come if you haven't fully surrendered your life to Jesus. There was a young man in Southern California. You've, many of you have heard this story where I got to help lead him to Christ and he prayed and received Christ and he came to me and he's like, this is going to be a massive life change for me. I've been in a neo-Nazi gang. I've been hating people for the color of their skin. He had a giant swastika on his shoulder. He said, I don't know what to do. And we began to pray and he began to, to meet and he chose to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. He still had problems and unrepentant sin in his life, but he got baptized. And then he chose to have, go through the physical painful procedure of many, many times going to the person to have the tattoo removed and turn that hate into something of love and compassion. And he ended up getting baptized and become a fully devoted follower of Jesus that could be used by God, even though he had once been in a neo-Nazi gang. I'm guessing you got a history in here. And maybe you haven't hated people for the color of your skin. Maybe you have, and you need to repent of that. But, but I'm going to tell you this morning that if you haven't lived a balanced life and fully surrendered any aspect of your life to the Lordship of Christ, you're going to miss out on the stories in heaven of how he could have used you out in the community because you've been so concerned about you don't want to give this stuff up. And when I've got this pride in my life, and I'm afraid to admit my failings. And I want to tell you, he's not going to sit here and judge you. It's the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not going to talk about the, the grace of God. He's not going to talk about how you can have salvation. He's not going to talk about how you can be used by God. His plan is to get you all alone to break up your relationship with God and other people and to get inward focused and talk about how horrible the world is and everything's horrible and I'm horrible and I'm miserable. Is that too much? Because I think this morning some of you need to say, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to go through the painful process of allowing God to remove the things in my life that I know are not healthy for me and for others. And I'm going to be fully devoted to you. And if you this morning, as a symbol of that, want to do what the New Testament teaches, be baptized in water, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. If you're like, well, I didn't come dressed and prepared. Well, we can't really help you much. We got a free t-shirt for you. We got a towel. But you'll probably go home in your car and still be a little wet. You might even get your seats wet. I can't tell you. It might ruin the rest of your day. I don't know. You may have problems going to lunch. People looking at you strange. But I want to tell you that if you fully devote your life to Jesus Christ and trust him and be obedient, even when you don't understand it, even when his scripture doesn't line up with your already established ways of viewing the world, I want to tell you, he will then use you out in the community. And so I just encourage you this morning, don't waste any more of your life doing the things that we do as Americans. Make the primary thing the primary thing, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. So during this last set of worship, we've got some extended worship this morning. If you need prayer for anything, I'm going to be in the prayer room with our team. We'd love to pray with you. But if you want to be baptized, you've never been baptized, you've never said that I've, I want to show the, my church family that I've died with Christ and I've risen with them, we're going to give you that opportunity. You come right over here. We're going to talk and make sure you understand it. And we're going to go meet with you. Pastor Rashad, as soon as this, I get done, he's going to get in that tank. You going to do a cannonball this service? Uh, we, we need, yeah, we need a can opener or something. He's going to be in there. And whenever you're ready, just during worship, come to the prayer room. We're going to get you a t-shirt and you can go and be baptized right here this morning. You don't have to wait another moment. The jailer, when he received Christ, immediately got baptized and baptized his whole household. Immediately. 
Maybe that's you and your family this morning. God, we surrender to you. We put you, we want you to be Lord of our lives, not ourselves. God, I confess to you, I repent that I, I struggle in all three of these areas of my life. I want to become better. And then if there is somebody here who has maybe had salvation, but have never made you Lord of their life, and they want to follow you in the act of baptism, I invite you, if that's you in the room, do not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ today. Pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. I surrender everything to you, not just for salvation, but to be used by you. I make you Lord of my life this morning. I want to follow you in the act of baptism. We love you, Jesus. We give you our church family and pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.